2: Hey everybody, welcome into another Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here along with MLB Pipeline's Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Lots to get to on the podcast this week. We're going to look ahead to the top 30 list. Every club's top 30 prospects, those will be coming out in a couple of weeks. Uh, We'll also dive a little bit into the top 100 list again, but from sort of a different perspective. But we are excited to be joined on the podcast this week by Sam Gini-Padres, Director of Player Development. Sam, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me, Tim, and uh, happy to be here with you and Jim and Jonathan to talk about some of our kids.
2: Yeah, and and what a great system you have. And I was going to say, right now, as all these lists are coming out, really across all different uh, outlets, the Padres system is being universally praised right now. Do you ever take a moment to kind of just pat yourself on the back, look at it, look at the the players that you have, the kids that you have, and just kind of soak it in for a second? Try not to, obviously.
0: I mean, I think uh, especially as, as, you know, when, when these lists start kind of uh, coming out on the, uh, on the various platforms at this time of the year, as you would imagine, we are very much uh, in full-on prep for uh, spring training and our, our prospect mini camp and uh, the 2018 season in general. So while we may, uh, you know, kind of see them in passing, um, usually we have plenty of things to kind of distract ourselves from uh, any praise at this point.
1: Uh, Sam, how much do the, the players feed off of that? Not necessarily the, the, the fact of where the farm system is getting ranked or where prospects are getting ranked, but how much when you guys have as much talent flowing through the system, do you think the players feed off of it and the players are aware that, hey, we might have something pretty special in, in the near future with all the talent that's coming through the system?
0: I think it's, I would imagine it's probably a different uh, experience for these kids coming up in the minor league now than it was 5, 10, 15 years ago. And it's, it's, I know you guys have been covering prospects for, uh, you know, well over a decade, a couple decades in certain cases. And, um, you yeah, know, I think probably the experience of being a young, um, well-regarded player, or, you know, well-regarded farm system is probably different for some of these kids. Um, I think, uh, you know, internally, I think it, it does create some good competition amongst, uh, amongst the players, because they're uh, kind of their peers you know are it's kind of a creates some good competitive usage flowing amongst our kids um, but I think it also you know if anything uh, you know there are times when maybe it can be a good challenge to you know hey is this real or is this is this something that is rightly earned and and kind of use it as a uh, a motivating force amongst amongst the kids amongst our staff or amongst our players because um, you know it's one thing for you know nice things to be written about an organization, about individual players, but ultimately, uh, you know, we're a long way, I think, from where we want to be as an organization, both at the minor league and the negative side. So, it's, uh, the accolades are nice, but uh, it's uh,
3: perhaps you know, just a step in, uh, in where we are at as an organization. I'm pretty sure, Sam, that was just a really nice way of calling me and Jim old, by the way, but thank <laughs> you for that. Um, myself as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I wanted to ask you just in ter- a little bit about, you know, the sort of the, the, the process and, and the change that the organization has gone. And when AJ Peller first came in, uh, he kind of tried to go all in uh, to put a winning team at the major league level on the field. That didn't work, uh, obviously, up to his expectations. I think what's been so amazing is how quickly the reset button has switched. To you know, to go from uh, you know reset, rebuild uh, to having young guys funnel up to the big leagues to make the team kind of fun and competitive, to being on the brink of being a really competitive team with this huge wave of, of talent coming. I was wondering, just from from your vantage point, just have you uh, you know marvelled at all just knowing there's still work to be done and all that that uh, you've been able to flip things around in such a, a quick way.
1: Yes,
0: I mean I, I think to, I think you described it quite well. But um, you know, kind of looking back as you know AJ's first full season and in 2015, and a lot of us here on the on the development side and on the scouting side, um, you know, this this would kind of uh, serve as our entering our fourth season here. And I think the way you described kind of the uh, the speed in which uh, you know the, the system is, has filled up um, in the last couple of years is quite honestly, a testament to uh, the baseball operations staff, obviously led by AJ, but I think it's fun when you start thinking about um, the makeup of our top 10, 15, 30, however many prospects you want to look at, just kind of the diversity of where they come from and their background and really how they were, you know, at least in the acquisition uh, piece, how they were kind of acquired in a variety of different ways. I mean, if you look at – you know, whether it's the professional scouting department that's led by Pete Young, and you obviously look at, you know, Fernando Satis and, you know, then the trade that we consummated a couple of years ago. Um, you look at, you know, the amateur draft, staff headed by Mark Connor, and whether it's Mackenzie Gore, Cal Quantrill, that group, as well as now you're starting to see a lot of our young international players that you know a lot of the hard work that Chris Kemp and his international department put together. So I think... Um, it's, it's really cool to kind of see, you know, at least how that group was assembled and kind of how the, all the various, various ways in which you can acquire and scout and, and get players into your system, how it's, it's really going to credit to everyone in the organization. And as you guys kind of asked about kind of the timeline, what is um, what is interesting this year and what is going to be fun, um, and it is unique is, you know, we're not there yet, but you know starting with this major league camp, we are going to get to see – kind of our perhaps our first wave of, of this group of young players starting to uh, kind of be in major league camp and you know perhaps sooner rather than later these be, be seen as you know real options for for Andy and his major league staff with you know Tatis will be in camp this year Jeff Nader will be in camp Luis Arias was in big camp last year on the pitching side Cal Quantrill Eric Lowers is a mix a Lucchese, so you start seeing kind of that first group, and um, and then even the group behind those guys, um, they, you know, we can even start talking about a little as well. But, um, you know, almost to go back a little to your first question is, um, you know, kind of to you know, something about kind of appreciating and enjoying it. I will say for all of us on the development side, um, I think we do – all have an awareness of what a special group of talent has been assembled, and uh, with that, kind of what responsibility comes with uh, doing the absolute best to develop those yeah, guys. Because we are looking at what perhaps could be a, uh, you know, kind of a group of players that you don't, get a, you don't get a chance to work with too many times in a baseball career.
1: Well, Sam, what are some of the. Or I guess not that anything's necessarily locked in stone, but the development plans for some of the top prospects in the system. I, you know, Tatis jumped from low A to Double A at the end of last season, um, and you know looked fine. It looked like he belonged at age 18. I mean, will he go back to Double A to begin the year? Will, will Luis Urias see more time at, at short or second base, or, or kind of divide the time between the two? And I, I think I wind up talking about Mackenzie Gore on just about every podcast we do, because I'm such a huge Mackenzie Gore fan. What is the plan with him, and, and what difficulties are there if if Mackenzie Gore is as good as he appears to be with trying to not move a young guy too fast, but also not hold him back at the same time?
0: No, those are all great questions, and obviously nothing that is uh, set in stone as we kind of sit here on, you know, in early February, but... Um, you know, kind of those three guys in particular. I mean, I had a chance to see a fair amount of Fernando. Um, I saw, his, I think I saw his first game last year in Double A, and then saw them on that playoff run in in San Antonio. And um, I think it's a very good question. You know, I, I my my instinct was is, is kind of as, as you alluded to, Jim, was that it uh, the level that he was at, where he finished the year in Double A, and then obviously he had a nice stint in the Dominican Winter League. Was that it was a, it was a nice blend of uh, kind of challenging him, and also um, you know a level that we could definitely see him having some success. So I think with all of our guys, that's that's kind of you always hope to move them as aggressively as you can, while you know laying some foundation for them to have some success. Um, and obviously, he made a very strong impression at that level. Um, and as I as I alluded to, it definitely seemed to uh, it looked right with him out on the field playing at the AA level at 18 years old um, with Luis. Um, obviously a year ago, as I mentioned, you know, entering his first big league camp and kind of exposed him a little bit shortstop and had a chance to play there a lot throughout the season. Um, got a lot more comfortable, I would say, towards the second half of the season. And then obviously we promoted Javier Guerra and then uh, Fernando Tatis ended up there towards the end of the season. Um, you know, I think, I think we made tremendous strides. And I think that that's going to be something that we're going to continue to expose him to um, kind of both of those those positions on both sides of the second base as we go forward. And lastly, with McKenzie, um, you know, I, I think you very much raise a, a point that's, that's in our mind as far as the best way to develop uh, such a young talent like McKenzie, who's, uh, you know, it's such a strong impression on us uh, in the less than a year we've had him. Um, I think you very much hit it in that we need to be cognizant of, uh, you know, crafting a plan for him that just as I said with Fernando, that challenges him um, and also prepares him. Hopefully for a really, really long, successful career with the Padres. Um, you know, I think the everyone has made a lot of about uh, McKenzie's kind of his aptitude, his emotional maturity, and all of those things, as well as his physical skills. But um, you know, he's actually he's thrown a fair amount uh, in a very positive way. So I think as as we look forward, um, you know, between his high school season last year and what we were able to um, put on for after he signed with us. There's actually a pretty good base going into this year. It's, it's not – obviously the, uh, the rigors of professional baseball will present challenges, but um, definitely think that McKenzie is going to be in a position because of the offseason he's had as well as kind of how much he's thrown in the past to, um, to hopefully move as quickly as his talent will allow him to.
3: Uh Sam so I wanted to ask specifically about Cal Quantrill just uh you know I think if uh, someone had told you that he'd finished his first full season in double A uh given how little he had pitched over the previous couple of years I'm sure you would have signed on the dotted line now I know knowing him as well as you do now it maybe it wasn't that big of a surprise but how pleased uh, are you guys with the progress that he made how well he threw given that it was his first full year of of pro ball and really his first full year of pitching since, what, like 2015, 2014? I mean, it it had been a while since he'd amassed any amount of innings. So I have to imagine that uh, you have to be happy and and excited to see what comes next for him as an encore.
0: Definitely. I I think you you nailed it. I mean, for a guy who missed, you know, basically all of 15, I think he threw a little at the start of that season and then had the surgery um, you know, I think the the goals were probably a little different with Cal in, in his first full season. I think in 2016, after we drafted him, I think uh, we threw about 35 innings and, and definitely felt good. And I think the main thing was, you know, getting him uh, not in a negative way, but just getting him through that, making sure he felt great from a health standpoint, so that he was prepared for that first full season. Um, but even even going back to 2016, did some things that you know, obviously um you know reflect why he's so highly regarded he threw a ton of strikes he missed a lot of bats and um that that carried over this year and um you know I, I took the baseball I think we you know just as you guys know it's it's a very intriguing arsenal with a, a fastball that's gotten better and better over the last couple of years a really really good change up and the two breaking balls that he can use and I think uh you know, I think one of the most impressive things about Cal is the competitor that he is, and and the desire and the wants. And as we, I think as we start thinking about hopefully the uh, what the makeup of a, a really good Padres major league club is in here a couple of years, I guess, or is here in the next few years, um, I think Cal's competitiveness and as well as his talent, um, give him a really really good chance to be part of that. And, You know, he's kind of a testament to that. He's had a tremendous off-season. He spent all of his off-season there in San Diego working out. He came away um, to really build off of what was a very successful first season. And um, I know he's looking forward to 2018 as we are with him.
1: Sam, I wanted to ask you a little bit about how you kind of got your start in baseball. And I think some people have heard the story, maybe some don't. But I think you were were still a teenager, right, when you started CalLeaguers.com? Which was probably what fifteen years ago or so, but when you started that, did you ever envision that leading you to to where you are today and, and just you know how many doors did that open for you, I guess, just by being at the park so much and and interacting with scouts? It, definitely it's a
0: uh, obviously it can be a little secret to kind of reflect that long ago, but um, kind of I, I think as as everyone kind of gets finds their Own unique way into baseball. It was actually it was the early 2000s, and I was quite young at the time. It was 2004 and 2005, and um, you know, just how we were talking about how the prospect uh, internet landscape was probably a little different back then. There, there wasn't really anyone. um, It's a much more commonplace thing I think now. There's There's a lot of you know young guys and young ladies who are trying to get into the game who will go out and. Kind of do some first-hand scouting, so to speak. It was a little more unique. Obviously, um, Baseball America at the time was, was very much the authority and kind of the only one who was really uh, kind of uh, reflecting the opinions of what was being seen out at the ballpark, et cetera. So, um, yeah, it, it was it was kind of a unique idea, unique way in. I I worked with the uh, excuse me. I did that for two years, and as you said, I was just at the ballpark. I kind of uh, knew I wanted to work in baseball and. Um, had a natural interest in evaluation and scouting and kind of swooped through some people that are still very much a part of my life. And, you know, a couple people that I met early on in those at some of those Cali ballparks back in the early 2000s are guys that I've stayed very close with, a couple of them I actually still have the opportunity to work with, even though this is the, the second club I've worked for. And, uh, and it led to an internship with the Oakland Athletics, and I spent about nine years working there um, in amateur, professional, and in international scouting, and um, didn't necessarily think that, you know, envision doing my, my current role probably, you know, 13, 14 years ago when I was starting, um, but I, I love the game and have uh, always been very indebted to people who have helped me along the way and kind of how open everyone has been to um, passing on knowledge and helping me as I've started my own career.
2: That's great stuff, Sam, and and neat to hear that perspective of you coming up that way. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Good luck at spring training. I know you guys are set to hit the ground running here.
0: Thank you, Tim. Thanks, Jim and John, and look forward to seeing you guys out there. Yeah, thanks, Sam.
2: All right, that was Sam Geeney, Padres Director of Player Development. And, Jim, I'm glad you asked him that last question. What a fascinating way to get into it, just kind of starting off on his own.
1: Yeah, well, it's funny because, like he mentioned back then, I mean, it was 15 years ago or so, and and there weren't that many people doing that much prospect coverage. And I remember it kind of caught our eye at Baseball America. Hey, there's this guy running around the Cal League and going out and seeing a bunch of games and writing up reports. And, I mean, that stuff is, is much more... Common these days, you know, not necessarily league oriented, but you know there's no shortage of, of people you know kind of writing their own first hand scouting reports on the web but back then it was you know it was really different and what I remember is the reports were pretty good too i mean if you look now, you'll see some reports that are good and you might see some that aren't so good, but you know Sam really seemed to have an eye for talent at the time, and I remember we all kind of thought it was kind of a cool deal when the as gave him the uh opportunity. Um, and you know now you. I mean, he's kind of done it all. You know, like he said, I mean, he did amateur and professional, and international scouting. I mean, he didn't mention it on the during the interview, but I mean, he was one of the guys, the guys who was on Yoenis Cespedes real early for the A's, and then he came to the you know the Padres as farm director. So he's kind of done a lot of things. But it's it's I think kind of a you know I think it, it's harder today than it would have been 15 years ago. But it is a story that kind of gives hope. I mean, I mean, shoot, Tim, when we're at the winter meetings in Jonathan, I mean, you see 8,000 people who are dying to get their foot in the door and a chance in the game. And, you know, Sam kind of made his own path just by his love for the game and interest in scouting and kind of put what he thought out there and, you know, impress some teams. And it, 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 it's still kind of a cool story.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And Jonathan, one other thing that stood out to me—obviously, um, he went through a lot of the talented players there—but it sounds like they're not afraid at all to to push Mackenzie Gore. And yes, Jonathan, I'm I'm letting you talk about Mackenzie Gore and uh, skipping what? Jim on this one.
3: Is that, is that okay? I need express written permission <laughs> from from Jim to do that. Uh, you know, I, I mean that's that's not surprising. Uh, you know, uh, and as much as I like to tease Jim. Um, you know, I think I told someone recently. You know, some of it has to do with how we split up the country for our draft coverage, and I'm sure that if Mackenzie Gore lived in, you know, have gone as nuts over him, uh, you know, as Jim did initially, and uh, the combination of stuff and his field for pitching is not something that we, you see every day, and so I think uh, it, it makes perfect sense that uh, they might be willing to to let him move quickly. And we've talked a little bit about how uh, Forrest Whitley of the Astros uh, is one of the few high schoolers ever to make it to double A in this first full season. Uh, now, I, I don't know if that's how aggressive uh, they will be, but if you told me uh, that Mackenzie Gore could make those kinds of jumps uh, in a year, yeah, I could believe it.
2: All right. Before we move on with the rest of the podcast, we want to take a moment to tell you about the cut forecast. The cut forecast is the podcast from the staff of MLB dot com's cut Four section, which focuses on the lighter side of baseball. If you've made it this far into our podcast, we really think you'll enjoy that one as well. It'll make you laugh, and you might even learn something about baseball dogs or ballpark food. If that sounds like something you want to hear about, search Cut Forecast. That's C-U-T, the number four, C-A-S-T, in Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts, and click subscribe. Now on with our podcast, and um, mention that the top 30 lists are going to be coming out in a couple of weeks, and you guys will start division by division before getting into... um, specific teams as you go through the list. Um, But to to get people ready for that a little bit, um, just wanted to touch on one topic, and that is a guy that's not currently on the top 30s, um, the 30s that will expire shortly, but who, through your research... has popped off the chart a little bit, and maybe we'll see them making a big rise here on the 30s. Here, so you have obviously plenty of teams to pick from. I know you each do 10 teams, along with Mike Rosenbaum. Um, I'll give you the choice of if you just want to do one player or pitcher and hitter, Jim. I guess you get to make the decision if you want to do two or one.
1: Um, well, you know me, I might pitcher uh, and hitter. If you, if you say two, I'm going to give you five. Yeah. So why, why don't we go one, one, one pitcher, one pitcher,
2: one pitcher. hitter? Do you want
1: me to give, give them both to you right now?
2: Yeah, go ahead.
1: Okay, well, my, my position player would be, and, and, you know, again, these aren't necessarily the very best guys, I'm not, but just a guy who jumped out, a guy I've heard a lot of good feedback on, a position player, is Miguel Amaya, a catcher in the Cubs system. He's interesting. You know, he hasn't played full-season ball yet. He was just 18 last year, and he only hit two twenty eight in short-season ball, although that's a pretty heady assignment for a for an 18-year-old. But he's just a real interesting guy. I think he's got a chance to be a, a solid, everyday catcher down the road. Um, he's, he's got good arm strength. It's quick. It's accurate. Um, he, he has all the you know receiving and blocking leadership skills that you want in a catcher. And even though he didn't put up big numbers, he was about as young a regular in that in that league as there was. I mean, he's got feel for the barrel. He shows some knowledge of the strike zone. I, I don't think he's going to be a big power guy, but I think it could be 12 to 15, so I I think you're looking at a guy who could be a, uh, you know, really solid offensive performer and give you everything you want behind the plate, and he will factor uh, quite prominently in our in our new Cubs rankings.
2: So that's your hitter, Jonathan. How about a position player for you?
1: I
3: thought Jim was giving us two and one. Now. I oh, did too,
2: but he paused. I did two, and I, I, I got
3: in. so
1: excited about Miguel Amaya that I forgot I, was, I, I can go pitcher. You want me to no, give the pitcher? No, I'm right ready, ready to go. I'm ready to go.
3: But I, I'm gonna. Uh, I think I'm gonna go. Uh, Two position players, if, if that's all right.
2: Instead of a just pitcher. Because... Well, that's fine. We, we will allow it. That's yep.
3: fine. Uh, um, just because uh, there are a couple pitchers interested There are two position players who really interest me. And uh, uh, the first is uh, right here uh, in, in the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. That's Lolo Sanchez, uh, who is going to make a very large leap onto the Pirates list uh, after not being on it a year ago. Really tools the outfield, can really play center field. Uh, feel to hit. I think he, he's going to grow into into power. Uh, it may not be a huge power guy, but I think he's going to hit and he's going to run and he's going to really flat out uh, defend. Uh, so that's one. And the other is Archimedes Gamboa of, of the Phillies. He's a shortstop. Uh, really, really good tools across the board. I think he's really going to hit. Um, I had uh, someone uh, in the Phillies say that they felt his tools. In raw tools—not necessarily that he's going to get there—were were comparable to Scott Kingery, the second baseman, who you know has a great power-speed combination. And thought raw tools-wise, he actually had better tools than J.P. Crawford, uh, who's going to be their shortstop, uh, you know, uh, on opening day. So, high praise. Obviously, he's got a ways to go uh, before he can, um, you know, you can say for certainty that he's going to play to those uh, heady tool grades, uh, but both Gamboa and Sanchez are are going to be in the top half uh, of their team lists for
1: for sure when they when they start rolling
3: out
2: all right Jim you got a pitcher now
1: I mean, I'll throw in a pitch. it's interesting because I've been working on our, our Giants prospect list, and I think you know, this guy is on the top three right now, the, the first guy I'm going to mention, but Sean Anderson, who they got in the Eduardo Nunez trade from the Red Sox, was part. You know, it seems like we always talk about these ridiculous Florida Gators pitching staffs, and, you know, the, the Gators pitching staff back in, in 2016 – you know, is probably going to wind up producing five first-round picks, and it might be as many as eight guys who wind up being starting pitchers in the big leagues. Um, and one of the relievers on that staff and one of those guys who's a future starter is Sean Anderson. And he was kind of the, the primary player they got uh, from the Red Sox and Eduardo Nunez trade, and I think he's one of the Giants' best prospects. But the second guy they got in, in the trade I did not know as much about until I started doing some digging on the Giants' list. And to a right hander named Gregory Santos who is pitching in the Dominican Summer League last year a seventeen year old. But he yeah, he sounds really interesting too. I mean he's he's, you know to sit about six two, six three, one ninety. But I mean, the fastball's up to ninety eight. You know, he can sit kind of ninety three, ninety six. It's downhill. He's got a, a big time curveball that has a chance to maybe be a plus pitch down the road. The changeup is in progress, but it, he's got feel for a changeup. And uh, you know, it, it's he could be. I mean, you could we could look back on that trade, and that trade helped the Red Sox too. I don't know if the Red Sox make the playoffs without without Nunez, but the Giants may have gotten to valuable big league pitchers out of that trade. And neither Anderson nor, nor Santos was much of a household name in prospect circles at the time.
2: Sometimes we get great topics from the mailbags that you guys do each week, and that's this one that we're going to come up with. Jonathan has answered it in the mailbag or will shortly. Um, but the question is, you need to put your manager caps on, both of you. You need to pick a five-man starting rotation that you're ready to go and head into the 2018 season with at the major league level. And it has to be all rookies. So prospects, rookies that are going to be ready to go here in 2018 at some point. So you can take that um, ETA into account when coming up with the list. But we need five starters, and we're going to go with it. And uh, Jonathan, it's your, it's your question, so I'll start with you.
3: Yeah, and, you know, the the person who submitted the question said, you know, top 100 or non-top 100, uh, yeah, I think that you know, the, the pitching crop is so deep uh, that uh, I, I didn't have to stray off of the top 100. Um, so who I ended up going with, and there are a lot of extras, but I ended up with uh, Shohei Ohtani. I mean, how could I not take the number one prospect uh, you know, as part of this staff? Uh, Louise Gajara,
2: the well, lefty a minute, you, don't the get pick. you
1: don't get to pick all five guys before I pick, do you? We didn't say we
2: were doing a draft. Yeah, it's not a draft, Jim. Sorry. Oh, I thought we
1: were drafting. Come no, on. Okay, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I apologize. Would I was ready like to, draft, to draft, but
2: go ahead. I'm sorry, Jim. I
1: think that's
3: going to take too long, but I'm yeah, going to keep going.
2: we're not drafting. Um, go
3: ahead. Uh, it's fine if we have a lot of the, the same guys, by the way. This yep. just, just a, was a, one, a fun exercise. So, Otani, Luis Gahara, uh, Brent Honeywell, uh, the right-hander from the Rays, Walker Bueller of the Dodgers, and then my number five starter is Alex Reyes, Uh, just because, you know, we need to go easy on the guy coming back from Tommy Johnson.
2: I like it. That's a good list. Uh, Jim, you're up, and I know uh, a little bit on the spot, but go ahead.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I would take Otani, although I actually think given a little bit of question about Otani's elbow and also just the difference in control and command, it wouldn't shock me if Brent Honeywell winds up posting a lower ERA. I think those were both good picks. Walker Buehler would be another guy I would take, although – I don't know how much of an opportunity he's going to get. Not right. that that's the basis of the question. I don't know if he's going to start much for the Dodgers because they're loaded. Um, I would also gamble on, or not gamble, but take Alex Reyes and the big stuff coming back from Tommy John surgery. I think he'll be he'll be fine. The the one guy I might quibble with a little bit is with Gohara just because I don't know if the – I mean, the stuff's obviously very good. The the control and command aren't necessarily as refined. I might be tempted to go with like a Jack Flaherty as my number five starter as a guy who I felt like might live in the strike zone a little bit more.
2: All right, nice. All right, we got one more thing to cover with you guys when you look ahead to 2018 because spring training is – it's really right around the corner. You guys will be hitting the road soon. And that is prospects that you're most excited to see in their full season debuts. Um, some One of those guys we've mentioned already on this podcast. Not sure if you'll go with him, but but certainly a possibility. Um, again, let's do one pitcher and one hitter. Jim, go ahead.
1: Well, am I picking both of them here at the same yeah, time? Yeah,
2: do both this time.
1: Okay, I will, I will pay better attention and, and read the emails better about when we're drafting and when we're just seeing guys. But anyway, I mean, you know my pitcher's got to be Mackenzie Gore. Uh, I joke sure. with everybody I talk with, with the Padres, that I like Mackenzie more. I'm the biggest Mackenzie Gore fan more than them, and they always laugh and so say, I don't know if that's possible. But, no, I mean, like Jonathan said, I mean, I don't think they'll necessarily push him. Like the Astros did with Whitley last year, and, and the Astros didn't even intend to do that. He just was so ridiculously good; they could hold him back. I, mean, I still think there's a real possibility that Force Whitley's pitching for Houston in the postseason this year if they need him. Um, but with Gore, I mean. He, you know, it's Arizona League, which isn't, you know, a very high level baseball, but I mean he came in and struck out thirty four guys in twenty one innings and he's got a chance to have four plus pitches and control the match and some of the pitches might be better than plus. So so yes, from a, a pitching standpoint, I am extremely, extremely interested to see what happens with him this year. Um, that's one. And then on the on the hitting standpoint, I mean, I'm going to cheat and pick a two-way player, although I do like him more as a hitter, and I think the Rays do too. But Brandon McKay, just from the standpoint of, you know, they let him hit and pitch last year, kind of his introduction to pro ball, and they're going to continue to let him, you know, do both. And I'll be very curious to see, you know, does that last the whole season? You know, the whole thing we've talked about with Otani too, that if you're doing both – does it maybe detract from you being as great as you can if you just focused on one? I mean Otani's going straight to the big league, so there's not really any development there. With McKay, I can't I can't think off the top of my head the last guy who who really did both at the same time. I mean Casey Kelly did one and the other and, and alternated back and forth because the Red Sox wanted him to to pitch and he wanted to hit Uh, I can't remember if if Frankie Rodriguez, you know, way back when, in the early 90s, did – I want to say I think he maybe did both um, his first year, um, and that was part of a condition of signing him, too. But there hasn't really been a team that has willingly tried to develop a guy doing both things. So I'm very curious to see what happens with him.
2: All right,
3: Jonathan.
1: Um, So, you know,
3: sticking with the draft class, uh, I think my – my pitcher pick is Hunter Green. Uh, you know, I think there's just so so many reasons to, to want to see him make it to Dayton in the Midwest League. And uh, it's possible that he doesn't, uh, you know, head there in, in April right? if they want to monitor his innings. You know, he's a guy who's a two-way prospect, and we've talked about him ad nauseum as well. Uh, would have been a you know, probably a late first-round pick as a hitter. Uh, he got to DH some as he was building up arm strength because he did not pitch a lot his, his senior year of high school. He's never thrown a whole lot of innings. Uh, so this is going to be the first time that he goes out and throws, uh, whatever he ends up throwing innings-wise, it's going to easily be a, a career high. And plus, it's the first time that he's a pitcher only. So he has gone in uh, you know, this off season presumably he's been working, uh, and, and having seen him in his workouts when we were doing draft coverage, uh, I know he's not going to be work, So he's working only on, on the pitching side of things in terms of conditioning and things of that nature. Uh, so I, I can't wait to see how that plus, plus, plus fastball uh, is, is going to play, uh, what kind of advancements he can make with his breaking ball, and his changeup, which he never really had to throw. Um, but he has it. Uh, so he, he's the, the pitcher uh, that that really stands out to me now. From a from a hitting standpoint, I, I I'm actually looking and it's sort of you know with all the top 30 work, uh, there are a couple of guys that are really kind of intrigue me. But I'm going to actually say Wander Javier, from the uh, from the Minnesota Twins. Now he's not a top 100 guy, but he's not that far off from being a top 100 guy. He played in in the rookie level Appalachian League. Uh, last summer and played very well. A hit for average. I think there's power to come. He can play shortstop and will stay there for a long time. And he's going to get to full season ball this year. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see what they do because he's a shortstop. Royce Lewis, uh, who I didn't choose for for this because he already made it to full season ball last year. It's kind of a half step ahead of him. So I don't know exactly uh, how the Twins are going to make that work. Uh, you know, maybe they hold Javier back for a little bit and then send him a little bit later. Uh, But uh, he is a guy that I'm very excited to see start facing more advanced competition.
2: All right, good stuff. That's going to do it for this Pipeline podcast. Programming note, though, I think next week, guys, is going to be the big... Draft. We've never done this before. We're going to get other people involved, the three of us, Jason Ratliff, the man behind the scenes for all this pipeline stuff, Mike Rosenbaum as well, Um, spurred on by the success of the Serpentine top ten list draft. We're all going to get involved, and three outfielders each as well, Jim. You'll be excited to know that and uh, we will, uh, we're going to be doing a full draft. They won't fully be on the podcast, but we will break it down and talk about it. Uh, hopefully that will be on next week's podcast. But that's going to do it for this one. We want to thank Sam Geeney of the Padres for joining us. For Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I'm Tim McMaster. We'll see you again next time.